G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision Christian Radio. Gary, I've introduced you as the Generosity Monk. Uh, Some listeners will be saying, what does all that mean? Do you wear a robe? Do you live in a monastery? What is the idea of the Generosity Monk? Sure. Well, let me tell the answer that with a fun story. So I was in a work transition. I was vice president of Denver Seminary some nine years ago, and as many of the listeners maybe have done during a time of transition, maybe when um, your work situation was unsure, I was the vice president and my president left and I prayed for months. What does this mean for me? And I really felt like the Lord said, I want you to go from serving one ministry to many. And so I took a quiet day. And on that quiet day, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, And quite humbling, I really felt like the Lord said, Gary, I don't need you to do anything. I have the whole universe sorted. So at that moment, I, I, I just waited on the Lord and said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to be? And just like Sarah laughed when God said, I want you to be a mommy, I felt like God said, I want you to be the generosity monk. And the monk part is, I want you to dedicate your life in a day and age when few people are committed to anything. I want you to dedicate your life to encouraging Christian generosity. And so... The, the moniker stuck to my daily office for almost nine years. Every day I'd post a daily meditation on what one of the saints through the centuries said on generosity. And it's just been my privilege to serve denominations, organizations, to help provide that spiritual and strategic guidance for encouraging Christian generosity. A lot of us spread ourselves very thin, and uh, we have an iron in lots of fires. Uh, We're doing all sorts of things trying to make a difference. How has it been for you? And we'll get into the generosity part in just a few moments, but if you're going to dedicate yourself to one stream, to one more minute focus, uh, is that a a good, uh, uh, you know, is that a good recipe for success? Well, here's what's interesting. By drilling down and becoming uh, kind of God's man, if you will, for on this topic of generosity, um, it led me to complete my Ph.D. in New Testament on wealth and riches in 1 Timothy. It led me to a deep study through church history. And what's ironic is, as a result, I've had the privilege then of doing work in like multiple areas, such as I teach on the handling of money at six seminaries in three countries. I write books and, and, um, and provide counsel both for denominations as well as organizations. So it's actually by, by, by becoming, uh, say, learned in an area and dedicating my time and energy to growing and disciplining myself to growing my knowledge and understanding it's actually given me many venues in which I could use that knowledge and and skills. Does that make sense? It makes sense, and I know that listeners will be wanting to hear you talk some more about the idea of wealth and riches. 
and whether there is a connection between having wealth and riches and generosity or whether these are on different planes altogether. What are your thoughts on wealth and riches? Sure. Wealth and riches are gifts from God to be enjoyed and shared. In other words, to state it plainly, um, going back to the Old Testament and Abraham, God's design for his chosen people would be that they are blessed to be a blessing. In other words, that they would be these conduits. And so as God supplies, following, say, then the instructions of Jesus in the New Testament doesn't leave us destitute, but actually teaches us to distribute. And so faithfulness often leads to fruitfulness. Diligence often leads to wealth and riches being in our house. And we do that not so we can become fat and happy, self-indulgent, but so that we can become these joyful distributors distributors of, of his uh, material as well as spiritual blessings. So fat and wealthy, self-indulgence, uh, that's one of the downsides to your attitude to wealth and riches. Uh, of course, uh, uh, what would the upsides be? That uh, that you are a, a generous person, that you are sharing that wealth. Uh, tell us about upsides and downsides and what can go right and what can go wrong when we're dealing with our wealth and riches. Sure. Well, I, I would say on the, on the upsides, the the love of money and the desire for things can trick us at any point in our lives. Uh, or in other words, or this would be like, as you would call it, a downside. In other words, at, at, at different times in our lives, money and wealth whispers to us, you need me, you need me. And so we start to think the worldly belief that, that money is what I need to solve my problems. And, and, and alternatively, On the upside, when we faithfully put it to work, we see fruitfulness and good things happen around us. It's actually when we listen to the world's messages, when we get ourselves into trouble, and the way to stay, let's just say, on the road and not go in the ditch is by putting what the Word teaches into our mind. Gary, some of us will be saying, well, if I had wealth and riches, I could be generous. But I don't have wealth and riches. How do you talk about the context we might find ourselves in uh, and where we might be and perhaps even comparisons here to, to just how wealthy we might be in a Western nation like Australia and you're in the United States? Uh, what are your thoughts sure. on, on wealth and riches, getting those things in context? Sure. So to get in context, one of the places I direct people is to a global website called www.globalrichlist. And if you go to that website, here's what you find. You find how your salary compares to the other 7 billion people in the world. Now, in America, if you type in a $25,000 U.S. salary, which is not a very high salary, you find that as compared to over 7 billion people in the world, your salary ranks in the the top 2% of salaries in the world. And so I would say that in more um, uh, developed countries like Australia or America, our earning power is high compared to most countries. Now, our cost of living is also higher. So what that does is it creates margin. If we're willing to live simply, we have probably greater bandwidth materially to be generous. Well, when I'm trying to make ends meet, trying to have enough left over at the end of the week, uh, the temptation there is to make sure that I've got a little extra for myself and not necessarily to be generous. How do you sort of 
grades the way that people actually respond to this idea of generosity? Well, the way I would describe it is how we handle money is the greatest defining feature that we belong to Christ. In other words, how I handle money and the priorities I make is the greatest message I have to a watching world that I'm different. And it's a way I can show that God's love and grace is for everyone by being willing to uh, sacrifice or say no to things that everyone else says I need and just have to have, and by being willing to maybe not necessarily have all those things I want, but say no to some things so I can say yes to other things, it can be one of my greatest testimonies. So, Gary, when we talk about a transformed life as a Christian believer, and you say uh, one of the, or the, you said it's the greatest defining feature as that we belong to Christ, uh, is this defining feature something that ought to be one of the early things or one of the biggest uh, notable transformations that happens in the life of a Christian believer when we come into contact with this, uh, an encounter with God? He changes us on the inside, and one of those things he deals with is our attitudes to money. Is that what you're saying? That is precisely what I'm saying, because if we read one of the most famous passages of Scripture, the fruit of the Spirit, it says, the fruit of the Spirit... So the fruit of God's work in your life, the fruit of God's work in my life is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and that next word for years, it's been translated goodness. If you look up the Greek word agathosune in a Greek-English lexicon, it's generosity. In other words, the fruit of God's work in our lives is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity. So it's, it's a fruit showing something different about this person. God's at work in them, causing them to not be a slave to money. Because money was the one thing Jesus talked about most. About half his parables mentioned money. It was, a, it was a very common topic, but it was the one thing he set up that said, you can't serve God and money. So how we handle money shows We are not a slave to money, but we've made it our slave. We are instead a servant or slave of God. A biblical perspective of life, culture, and current events. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision. Reflect on Americans for a few moments, because I have this tendency to think of American Christians, because of your such rich Christian history, as being a very generous church. Uh, how do you see uh, the U.S. situation and how generous Americans might be as Christian believers? And, and we'll be able to make our own assessment of what difference there might be here in Australia. Well, I think any time we start comparing ourselves to other people, uh, we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, what I would rather do is align us to alongside God's word. And what I see in America are four kinds of givers. I see first people that don't give anything. And um, those people are givers who haven't learned that they've been blessed to be a blessing. So they're, the, they're, they're about 25% of the American church shows up and gives nothing uh, to the local church or to charities. The second kind of giver I see in America are people who give what I would describe as sporadically. In other words, they give something sporadically. It's largely maybe the leftovers. 
The third group I would describe are people who give what would be a percentage. These still, I wouldn't describe these biblically as generous because they tend, and I say tend, to think, oh, 10% is God's part and the other 90% is mine. And then they act as though they're just like the world with their other 90%. And then they actually um, often become like the religious leaders who are these prideful lovers of money, who were prideful for tithing, but then, you know, treated money just like everyone else. But then the other part, the fourth group that I see in America, would be those that exhibit what I would call biblical generosity, which is giving according to your means with love. Giving according to your means with love. So as you're blessed, you're a blessing, and you do this, with love, because giving's always throughout the New Testament associated with love. So we've got those four kinds of groups. I would say largely we've got a long way to go because in our local churches, the conversations about money have been disconnected from discipleship. And so as a result, it's kind of like an afterthought. And I will own the fact as, as a seminary professor at four seminaries in America, one seminary in South Korea and a seminary in uh, the Philippines, I will testify to the fact that the failure in the pulpit is a, a result of the fact that we didn't talk about this enough in seminaries. So I'm trying to make a difference in that area. Well, I love your insight that comparing our giving with others is an unhealthy way to look at this because really we are driven, aren't we, back to what a biblical foundation might be. It's not whether Aussies are generous and uh, uh, you know, compared to Americans or Americans compared to Aussies or Koreans or whoever it might be around the world. It's how we will align ourselves with a biblical understanding of what generosity means for us because this is what we want to be shaped by. We want to go back to an understanding of what God's Word says and this is what you're, uh, what you're leaning towards in all of these different professorships and you're trying to uh, bring these sorts of messages into the hearts and minds of emerging leaders. So take us into some of the biblical foundation and understanding of what it is to be a generous person. Sure. Um, if I were to summarize my seminary course for listeners in three words, the words would be gifts, goods, and gospel. So if I were to summarize the biblical you know, material, I would say that each steward is entrusted as a steward with spiritual gifts to be used for the common good. Let each one of you use whatever gift God's given you to serve others, administering his grace in its various forms. So each one of us is a steward of gifts. We're entrusted with these. We need to give an account for how we used it. So we're given gifts. Second, we're given goods. In other words, um, all that you and I possess belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. And so everything we have belongs to God. We are these stewards and the masters uh, away on a proverbial or on, you know, parabolically speaking, on a journey, and he'll return, and someday we'll have to give an account for our stewardship. So we've been entrusted with goods, and so how are we putting those to work to care for our families, to, to show love for our neighbor, to uh, advance um, the ministry of, of, say, the local church? But then the third thing we have, and this is what's so global about these three words, is the gospel. So you and I, if we have Jesus Christ, we possess the best news, the, the, the greatest news the world has ever known. So we actually 
have the richest treasure that could ever be shared. And so when I've, for instance, trained, um, taught on stewardship among the destitute poor in the garbage dump of Guatemala City, revival broke out when they realized, even though they had no money, that they had been given gifts by God to put to work, and that they had the gospel, so they had something to share. And so God blesses us with material and spiritual blessings, so we have something to enjoy and share. And so what I would charge listeners to just lean into, to contemplate on, to think about, is what are the gifts God's given me? What are the goods he's entrusted me with? And what am I doing with the best news that the whole world needs that is free, that I can share it with anyone? And so when we start being a steward of our gifts and our goods to make known the gospel, we start realizing why we're here. And actually, we start taking hold of, of the, the reason we're here, which is to, to make known that good news with what we've been entrusted. Let me come to this idea of stewardship. Now, I know you've got some uh, some developments on the way we think about stewardship. And sometimes as Christian believers, we say, well, uh, we're stewards of what God's given to us. And we've got a learning process that goes on and how to be a steward of these good things, these gifts, these goods, the gospel that God has given to us. What are your thoughts on stewardship? Sure. Well, I like to start with what the scriptures say. So the first three lessons in that good and faithful, they look at stewardship in the Old Testament so that we learn God's design and God's heart for his people. Then it looks at the, uh, the Gospels, and we look at Jesus, and he personally uh, articulates this way of living, giving, serving, and loving. And then we see in, in my third lesson, I look at the financial practices, literally the stewardship of the early church. And so they lived they were largely dirt poor. So if people are out there thinking, I got two pennies to rub together, or I have more months than I have money, and I don't know how to make it through, that was really the early church too. And how they handled possessions differently from the world around them, but in alignment with God's design, showed they were different. It showed, it resulted in, there was no needy person among them. It resulted in the Lord adding to their number daily those that were being saved, because people showed at the root they cared more about other people than they cared about possessions. Is it true that you can be a good steward of the possessions and the gifts that you have and still not be generous? Absolutely, because as I defined using a... a a summary of biblical material. Generosity is when we give according to our means with love. And so someone might have great wealth, and they might be the person who's like the character in Mark chapter 12, verse 41 to 44, where the wealthy person comes and they gave their offering out of their wealth, but that widow comes along and puts in her two pennies. She puts in all she has to live on, and her giving is celebrated by Jesus. So what's going on there is she's giving according to her ability, and that person's not. That wealthy person is just pitching in a little bit, so they're not exhibiting generosity. That person is, is demonstrating more um, where their trust is by what they don't give than what they give. And what I love listeners to realize, that is if you look at the biblical material, Jesus cares more about what we don't give. The world looks at what we give. Jesus looks at 
what we don't give and what that says about our hearts and where our trust is. Gary, for a lot of Christian believers, uh, when they turn up at church on Sunday and either it's the pastor or someone who is on duty coming around the church offering, uh, they'll use that word tithe and talking about a tenth of our income. Uh, this terminology of the tithe, uh, even when you talk about stewardship, because sometimes when we talk about stewardship, we talk about, you know, giving that tithe. Uh, what you're saying is the tithe isn't even generous enough, or it's a part of the generosity, but it's not the whole story. How do you talk about tithe to people? Great question. The tithe is one of the most Galatian-like teachings in the church today. Let me explain In other words, when we look at the word tithe, it's an Old Testament law term. The only time we hear Jesus use it twice is never talking to disciples. Why? That would return them to the law. It's when cursing the religious leaders for thinking themselves self-righteous for tithing down to the mint and the spice. So what do we see in the rest of the New Testament? Never does Jesus use tithe language. Neither do Paul or Peter or the others. And so then we might ask ourselves, what's going on in the language of giving in the New Testament? We see the language shift from law language, which, which if we return to the law, Galatians tells us we go back to slavery. Like if we mash the law and we mash the, the gospel of grace together, it, it like sends us backwards. And so instead, throughout the New Testament, the word we see used from the earliest letters like Galatians, all the way through to the later writings um, uh, describing the history of the early church, is the word koinonia. The word koinonia means share. And so the language of giving in the New Testament is always sharing according to our ability. As we're blessed, we're a blessing. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.